Hey, really glad to have you here. That psalm has been a favorite of followers of the Lord for the 3,000 years since it was first penned as a song to be sung. And I like to just sing for you what I think it was. No, I'm just teasing. I won't do that today. But would you turn with me to Psalm 139? Psalm 139. And I'm excited about this new series called Near, a reflection of God's heart for us as expressed in one of the most loved psalms. This psalm highlights uh, so clearly this. Christianity at the core is a relationship. You could even say it's a series of relationships. It's not a list of like do's and don'ts. A lot of people see faith that way, like it just tells you your behavioral kind of standards and guard. No, it's not, that's, that's not, first of all, what Christianity is. It's not a series of like religious obligations. Uh, Christianity at the core is a relationship. It's all about the nearness of, of God, that you and I are invited into a relationship with the creator of everything. And uh, the one who, who is and who was and who is to come, right? Like he's always been, always will be. And he's created us. Even if you're like an, a seeker, an investigator, you're like, I don't really know what I believe. At some point, I think we all come to the place where we go, there's gotta be more than just going through life, accumulating stuff, achieving some of your dreams, but you go, even people have made it to the top, like, you know, they win an NBA championship or something, they go, there is, is that it? Like, like that, that thrill lasts for a bit, but then what comes after that? And God has made us, the scriptures say, in such a way that we can enjoy all these good things, but ultimately, the only relationship that will ultimately satisfy the deepest thirst in our souls is a relationship personally with, with Jesus. And, and he, not only does he forgive us, he, he adopts us into a family and he makes us part of this family that we've got brothers and sisters around the world, all around us today. And it's a family that's going to last forever. Christianity at the core is a relationship. So it was intriguing to me to see an article in the New York times this past September, just a few months ago with this title, we know the cure for loneliness so why do we suffer? Journalist Nicholas Kristof poses that question in an op-ed, inciting the warnings from the U.S. Surgeon General. Uh, maybe you saw this. Kristof writes this. He says, loneliness, and this is reporting on news that maybe you saw a few months ago, is as deadly as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. More lethal than consuming six alcoholic drinks a day and more dangerous for your health than obesity. It's pretty sobering, isn't it? And, and then to consider how widespread loneliness is. A, a 2021 study by Harvard Graduate School found that 36% of Americans report feeling lonely frequently or almost all of the time. And you might say, I, I think I fit in that, like more than a third of our population. While loneliness often is most associated with old age, we think, well, you know, you, people you begin to lose some of your loved ones or whatever. The study found that 61% of young adults, that is ages 18 to 25, report serious loneliness. And it's not just 
here in our own country. This is a global phenomenon. In fact, to the extent that in the United Kingdom, they have appointed a minister for loneliness. Same thing in Japan and Sweden. I do think it'd be a little bit awkward, don't you? Like if you're introducing yourself to someone and they go, you know, like, what do you, who are you, what do you do? And you go, I'm Jonathan, I'm the minister for loneliness. You know? <laughs> I th- maybe it could be better titled, you know? But, um, but that's how profound of an issue this is. That, and so friends, here's what I, I never want us to forget. Christians of all people, we know the cure for loneliness, right? And it's this, that God is near. Here's a statement I, I just think says it so well. We may feel lonely, but we are never what? I'm never alone. You might feel lonely, but the reality is when you, when you are a person that has invited God into your life, you're never alone, and, and you might go, I, I need more than this invisible presence, and that's the great news is that, that God puts us into a family. My prayer is that, someone tell me after the last service, and uh, she's from outside the area, and she's been here for a few years, and she said, you know, Grace has become like my family, and, and I hope for more and more that'll be the case. Maybe this year, you'll say, I joined a small group, I, I went to one of the retreats you guys offer, I was part of a class, I'm serving in some capacity, I'm volunteering, I make it, that, that you'll find that more and more that this place feels like a family for you, that that God is building and growing and that is gonna last for all of eternity. Christianity at the core is about relationships and it starts with the nearness of God. Friends, when we really grasp this, it, it changes our outlook on life. Like when you really get that God is near, that you, he's as close as the breath that you breathe, closer than the person sitting next to you right now, it changes your confidence in life because you start to realize, like, as I face this decision, I don't face it alone. Like, I can have the wisdom of God. Or when I find myself in a place of temptation that I go, oh my goodness, like I, that I can know, God, you're with me right now and, and I can experience your power. Like, I, I can have victory in this. Whatever it is that you have, you're, you're in some kind of unexpected crisis and emergency room or you get a phone call or something else happens and you can go, God, you see me right now, you know me, you know about this. And knowing his nearness, really grasping that, can change the, the way that you see your life, the levels of confidence with which you live. So I'm glad you're here and digging in. We're gonna be in this uh, psalm for a few weeks. And so uh, I'm gonna pray and then we'll uh, dig. Let me just say, first of all, a welcome to all of, we have three campuses, Middleburg, Olmstead Falls on Columbia Road. Some of you have been there. Love being with you friends at uh, the Christmas Eve service this past Wednesday night at Grace 101. And then we have a campus at Lorraine Correctional. And we have over 100 guys there uh, that uh, I love being with you guys. And we've got a team of probably 50 plus volunteers who go on a regular basis and just do a lot of group stuff. And, and so welcome to you as well. And other people who are engaging online in different places around Ohio, various states, and some of you found us from different countries. We're really glad to have you digging into God's Word with us. Let, let's pray, and then we'll look at, uh, at this passage. Lord, thank you today that we can come to you, and we can. it says that we can approach you with confidence. Hebrews 4 says to find mercy and grace in our time of need. 
Lord, there are some here today who feel that keenly. They've been through suffering recently, maybe grief. Uh, a lot of my friends here I know are encountering that. Lord, I pray that you would show your peace, that you would meet each one where they are. Lord, thank you that even with all of the uncertainties of the year ahead, uh, just contemplating that recently, Lord, to know that there's not a day that will surprise you, and there's not a day that I'll be walking by myself, and every one of us can say that. Father, as we look at a world that continues to have a lot of strife, various pockets of uh, just conflict, Lord, we pray that your peace would prevail, and especially in the Middle East right now, uh, in Sudan, in Ukraine, Lord, these ones that especially get our attention, Lord, would you be the one who draws people close, and, and I pray that we would see each other's dignity and treat each other accordingly. So God, now open up our hearts, our minds, and give us faith to believe as we read your word. Jesus, in your name we pray, amen. So I'd like us to read the passage aloud, uh, Psalm 139, we're going to begin with verse 1. And uh, you're welcome to read it, whatever device you have there, or, uh, uh, or you can read it up here. Can I just say one more thing? Can you guys go back one slide? I want to give a shout out to our Bible reading plan here we're doing this year. It's called The Full Story. And you can download this for free on any device, you just the Bible app, which has now been... I remember when I met the guy who developed this. Uh, Bobby Grunwald, and, and it was in 2008, I believe, and I think I met him in 2009, and I had like never heard of the Bible app. I'm like, tell me more about this, you know? Now it's been downloaded over 600 million times, and it's free. It's in like 800 different languages. Anyhow, we're doing this Bible reading plan, the full story, from beginning to the amen. There's a passage every day. It's really easy. You can share with a friend. You can listen to it instead of reading if that's your thing. But we would love to have you join us uh, in that. And there's just a great way to grow uh, your relationship with God. All right, Psalm 139, we'll read this together. You ready? Let's say it aloud. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. We'll just stop right there. The most important aspect of who you are is what you think about God. Let me say it one more time. Because I believe this to be absolutely true. The most important aspect of who you are is what you think about God, your view of God. Nothing at all about you takes precedence over that. To see God as he really is and to know that he far exceeds anything that we could ever imagine about him. That you and I, it says in Colossians 1, that all things were made by him and were made for him. That I was made for God to be in a relationship with him. So what is this God like for all of his bigness to know that God is close, that he's near, he's personal? It's the amazing and really incredible truth of the Christian faith that 
that God is more holy and majestic and amazing than I could ever comprehend, and yet he's more close and personal than my best friend, my wife. And he cares about me, like he's near. You see it over and over again when you read the Bible and, and when you read the Psalms, that the Psalms are not just these didactic teachings that pronounce theological truth. They're songs of praise to express like our wonder about who God is. And so the psalmist, he goes, Lord, you know me and you search me. And nine times in the first five verses, he says, Lord, you this, you are familiar, you, and he has these nine things that he says about, we're just going to look at these uh, for a moment. And, but if you wanted to outline the psalm, just to go to sort of get a sense of where we're going here, you'd see four sections, verses one to six, that God is all see, seeing, seven to 12, that he's all present, Verses 13 to 18, he's all creative. And then 19 to 24, that God is all holy. So let's just take a look at the first six verses here and then say, what is this difference does this make in our lives? Verse one says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Just what's striking is how profoundly personal this is. That God in all of, like we, a lot of us don't have a problem thinking about God being like, you know, some intelligent being in the universe. And if, and if someone says, I don't believe that there is a God, I think at some point you have to go, well, how did it all start? Like, what is your story about how everything came to be? For me, I think the most rational and intelligent uh, explanation is that there's a God behind it all. And, but he's not only big and, and amazingly, you know, larger than I could ever comprehend, he also sees me and he knows me, David says. And there's nothing about me that he doesn't see or know, and it's the same with you. That might seem uncomfortably invasive. We just go, wow, he searches me, knows me, like, and it's a little intimidating. It might almost be like, you might remember the story of when Peter, historical account in Luke chapter five, when Peter and his buddies are fishing, and Jesus says, hey, I haven't caught anything. Why don't you throw your nets on the other side of the boat? And they get this massive catch, Right? What's the first thing that Peter does? He doesn't go like, Man, sign this guy up for our business, right? He falls on his knees. And he just goes, depart from me, for I am a what? A sinful person. He knew that if God could see Jesus with, you know, God with skin on, could see into the water, know where the fish were, it's like, wow, he, he sees into my heart and he knows all that I've done. But God also provides a way for us to be forgiven. And, you know, someone has said this. They said, everybody wants to be loved, but most of us are afraid to be known. All of us want to be loved, but most of us are afraid to be known. Why? Because we're like, if you really knew me, you knew some of the thoughts I have, you knew some of the things I've done, I don't think you would love me anymore. But here's the thing about God is that he knows me better than I know myself. He knows me better than anybody knows me. And yet he loves me more than I could ever comprehend. And David re remarks that he just goes, wow. The next few verses tell us just how completely God knows us. He doesn't just know about us in a vague, general way like he really knows us. Think about tomorrow morning. You wake up, whether your alarm clock, however you get up, maybe you wake up, 
you know, to smell a coffee that you've set on automatic from the night before. You get your Quaker O squares or whatever you do for your breakfast routine. What does God see about you? Verse two, you know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Let's just ponder that for a second. He knows when I sit and when I rise. Like that's sort of things that happen at, at home generally. You sit down to eat, the Lord sees you. You get up to see what the Amazon driver just dropped off at your front door. They seem to come every other day, you know. Uh, and God sees you do that. You plop down on the couch to watch some kind of Netflix show or Hulu or whatever you're, you know, and he sees you there. Uh, and, and then David says, and you see me when I go out, when I lie down. In other words, when you leave to go watch a ball game with a friend or you leave for work or an errand or whatever, God knows. When you stop by Chipotle or you're driving down the road, he sees you. Heading out with friends, the Lord sees you. Getting ready for bed, like he sees that too. Verse three affirms this, Lord, you are familiar with all my ways. Like keeps on using superlatives, all of them. In other words, there's no part of my day that God doesn't see, or my night. He's always near. From the time that I get up in the morning to the time that I turn off the lights at night, he sees me, and all through the night too. And it's not just that he sees what I do. There's something else he goes on to say here. He says in verse two, he says, you perceive my what? My thoughts from afar. And in verse four, before a tongue a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely, that our words and our thoughts are known to God even before we speak. Who else knows me like that? Well, okay, maybe my wife a little bit sometimes, you know, Mary, she can read my mind at times. She goes, I can tell what you're thinking about here. Or Mary and I will be in a conversation, like I'll, she'll be in a conversation with someone and we've just met and she'll ask them a couple questions and I'll come in and I'll ask the, exactly the same questions. You ever have that with someone you love? And you just sort of start to, you know, and you can sort of almost read each other's minds or you know what each other's gonna say, but very imperfectly, right? There are times that I wildly ris misread Mary's mind and, and she mine. But David says here, Lord, you know what I'm going to say, not partially, but completely. You discern my thoughts, Lord, even from far off. Like when nobody else can tell what's on my mind, Lord, you can. That's how powerful he is, how near. Two more verses and we'll talk about how this, the profound impact this can make in our everyday life. Verse five, he says, you hem me in behind and before. Now you can take this in a couple of ways. It can be seen as sort of constricting that somehow God has got us like almost trapped, right? Like you, you got me like penned in or something. But based on what David says next, how wonderful this is, I think he really meant this as a positive. Like this is a source of encouragement and strength and confidence. David had his fair share of enemies. He was attacked frequently and he's going, Lord, you've got my back and you've got my front I'm safe because you're near. What if you and I could see the Lord in our lives like that? You're driving down the road and he's got you surrounded. You're in your house and, and you can say, uh, maybe you're thinking all alone, but the Lord's in the front, he's in the back, he's on the side, like he's, you may feel lonely, but you are never what? You are never alone. He's with you all the way around. You're at a meeting tomorrow, you can know God is near. He's got you behind, in front of you. He's, 
You're maybe a student in school and you're walking down the hallway and you're feeling intimidated by all the people around you or maybe you've been, you feel like you've been picked on or whatever. Perhaps it's you're traveling and you just go, God, he's got you behind you. He's before you. He's, he's all the way around you. And David says, that's incredible to me. And then there's another statement in verse five that David goes from just what God sees and he knows and he's familiar. He says, Lord, you lay your hand upon me. It's the first mention of touch, that he sees us, he's with us, he's near in every way. And it's personal. There's love. Lord, you lay your hand upon me. Mary and I were delighted to have our grandkids with us this fall for a number of weeks when our, um, that's me introducing Teddy to the finer things in culture. (laughs) You notice what size I got for both of us? So the strategy was, I hope he doesn't finish his. And I was right. It was unbelievable. I just like, well, I got to finish his as well, you know? And, but they came into town. Lauren had baby number two here. You'll see in the next one here, we had uh, baby Ellie and Mares Mary with Teddy, who's just turned two a few months ago. And then Ellie is like three months old now. But we would watch um, Teddy uh, at times while Lauren and Brad were out, you know, at a doctor's appointment or giving birth or whatever. And um, <laughs> yeah. Just like another day in the park, right? <laughs> Spoken by a guy, of course. Um, <laughs> that was such a terrible remark. Um, anyhow, so it'd be nap time, right? So I'd, I'd, I'd tell Teddy a story. And my signature line with my kids will always tell you is I always finish my stories that are these like wild adventures. And that's the end of the story. And the first words out of his mouth would be, one mo, one mo, tell me another story. And so I would tell him a story and a story, another story. And I think he likes to hear me talk. I'm, I'm going to start sending him my sermons, you know, just that will put him right out. Um, but so Teddy would eventually fall asleep, but he would do so. And in the dark, he'd want to know that I was there. And one of the ways to assure him because if I tried to sneak in, he'd go, Jojo. That's what he calls me, Jojo, come. You know, he'd want me to be back. In the... So I put my hand, some of you, lots of you as parents, right, you've done this, I put my hand on his back, and, and when I put my hand on his back, he'd know I was there. An appropriate touch assures someone of your presence, Right? that you're sort of saying, I'm here, I care for you, I love you. That's what a touch can do, right? Done rightly. And David says, Lord, you've placed your hand upon me. It's a beautiful statement, right? Not saying physically, like I, if you said, do you physically, God? But he's saying, God, you're that close that I sense your love and your blessing. And David found comfort in that. He had a lot of issues in life. He writes this as an adult. He had issues with his adult kids, were at each other, ended up murdering the, I mean, there was just crazy stuff that happened in his leadership. 
He had people who turned against him. I'm sure he had issues in his marriage, no doubt stuff with his health. And he's going, God, thank you that you're that close. And he says this in verse six. He finally reflects after saying, God, you do this and this and this and this. And then he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. It's like he's going, Lord, I can't even fully comprehend how much you care about me, that you see me even in the dark. You know me inside and you know me out. I'm never alone. I'm seen and I'm deeply valued by you. And here's what we know about God. If we're wondering like, well, what kind of a God is he that would see me, know me, and you know, search me, know my thoughts and all the rest? David is also the one who wrote Psalm 103 and there are these three similes back to back And here's what David says about the Lord. He says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's what? Love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us, our sins, our shame, our regrets, that God, he takes, he's that forgiving. And as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. His love is unbreakable. His forgiveness is forever. His compassion is like the best of a parent who just knows what you're going through and comes alongside. He's the one who sees you and knows you. He's near when you're on top of the world or you're feeling all alone, when things are going well or when you feel like you're stumbling in the darkness, when God seems close and when you feel like your prayers are bouncing against the ceiling and he feels far away, this is the message all the way through the scriptures. God is closer than you think. He's near. He's with us even when we don't see him. I want us to look at one uh, historical account in the book of Genesis. If you want to turn back there with me, Genesis chapter 16. And, uh, and we see this moving example of God's nearness in a time of mistreatment and abuse when sometimes God feels the furthest away that actually find out he's close. You might remember the story here of Hagar. She's far from the comfort of family and home. She's living as a house helper. And here's where things take a tough turn. Genesis 16, verse one. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. This was a problem. Just pause there a second because a few chapters earlier, remember that Abram and Sarai had been promised that they would become the parents of like so many children and descendants, they couldn't even count them. Like they'd become the, the parents of Israel. And she's had no children. So here's what happens. She had an Egyptian slave named Hagar So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Not a good idea, right? Terrible idea. Doesn't go well. Hagar has a son. Sarai grows jealous, mistreats Hagar even more. And Hagar is on the receiving end of sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse. The worst that life can get And in the middle of that, God assures her, Hagar, I see you. Right now, I see you. Listen to what happens here. She's this immigrant enslaved woman with no power status. And she's the first person in the scripture to 
be met by an angel. You might not believe in that, but um, there are plenty of situations, uh, and even today people have visions of saying, you know, especially in places where maybe the gospel of Jesus is not freely known, and they'll go, an angel appeared to me in a dream or whatever. And it happens to her, and, and, uh, and, and God just lets her know, you, you're not forgotten. She's so moved that she names God. She's the only person in the scripture to name God. And here's what she says in verse 13. Chapter 16, verse 13. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who what? Sees me. And my emotional, sexual, physical abuse, God, you see me. You go, well, if he sees you, why doesn't he deliver you? If he sees me in my pain... Because God is allowed in this broken world for people to make choices that they make. And he doesn't treat us like robots. And God's heart breaks for Hagar and breaks for you in the midst of your pain. And one day he's going to make it all right. But in the midst of it, he goes, I see you and I'm with you. And the name she gives him is Elroy. Would you say that with me? Elroy, the God who sees me. It's the same thing that David says in Psalm 139, that the God of Israel works through all of the complexities and messes of human history through the lives of deeply flawed and broken people who never seem to get things right. And here's what he says, I am Elroy, the God who sees you. He sees you. This is such great news for people whose lives are less than perfect who wander about in desert, desert places, who weep over the consequences of their own decisions or the decisions of others who are on the receiving end of, of abusive behavior, that Jesus sees you in your despair. And when it seems that God is absent or you're in the wilderness like Hagar, we find out that God is closer than we think. And it's a message that is in Genesis all the way through the scripture. In fact, let me just do a really quick flyover of just several scriptures that have been meaningful to me. And, and you'll see them in your notes as well. But Joshua 1.9, they'll be on the screen. Joshua gets this promise. Here it is. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you whenever you go to church. Now, what does it say? Just wherever, right? Wherever. Not just when you're at church, not just when you're reading your Bible, not just when you're consciously praying. He's with you wherever you go. In the most unlikely times, you're sitting in front of the computer, he's with you. You're driving the car, he's with you. You're hanging out with friends, he's with you. You're watching the Browns game this afternoon, we happen to be 11 and 5, he's with you. He's with you wherever you go. It's the most frequently stated promise in the Bible. I will be with you. Isaiah 43, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. God didn't want us to forget. When Jesus shows up on the scene, the promise is the bookends of both sides of the first historical account of his life, the Gospel of Matthew. Then in the beginning of Matthew, it says, and the virgin will give birth to a son and you'll name him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. You come to the end of the Gospel of Matthew, it's the last thing that Jesus says. In Matthew 28, verse 20, he says, he's sending out his followers and he's not just sending them out away from him. He says, oh, 
And by the way, surely I am what? With you to the very end. He didn't want us to forget. And the Apostle Paul, you know, when Jesus ascends to heaven, Paul's facing some challenges. God gives him the same promise. Acts chapter 18, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid, keep on speaking. Do not be silent for I am with you. Maybe God keeps telling us because he knows how prone we are to doubt this. I'll just speak for myself. You go, John, you're a pastor. I can go through a big portion of a day and just completely ignore the fact that God is right with me. Next week, we're going to talk about how to sort of make this real in your life and the difference it can make. But today, I just want to drill it home that he just says, I see you and I'm near. One more example, Hebrews chapter 13, God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have how much fear? No fear. What can mere people do to me? God sees us. Here's one of the reasons I think that the Lord repeats the promise so often. In your notes, under the questions for reflection, you'll see a quote from Rick Warren. And uh, here's what Rick writes. He says, behind every self-defeating behavior in your life is a lie that you are believing. Let me say it one more time. Behind every self-defeating behavior in your life is a lie that you're believing. That takes some pondering there. And you might go, okay, what are the self-defeating behaviors in my life? What lie am I believing? One of the lies that we're most prone to believe is this, that God is distant. He doesn't see me. Maybe he doesn't even really care. I'm just like a little speck in the vastness of the universe. And Psalm 139 tells us that's a lie. Don't believe that. God is near. God is closer than you think. Can you say that one with me? Let's say it together. Ready? God is closer than you think. He sees you. He knows you. You're never alone. You always have his strength at your disposal when you come to him and you trust him. His wisdom, his guidance, his joy, his peace. I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll talk about that more next week. There's a quote on a Christmas card. This is one of my favorites. And it says this, the wonder of Christmas is that the God who dwelt among us can now dwell within us. The wonder of Christmas is that the God who dwelt among us can now dwell within us. See, friends, we're on this side of the cross, this side of the resurrection, this side of the Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes, David could say, God, you see me, you know me, you're with me. We can say today, you see me, you know me, you're with me. And when I trust you, you're what? You're in me. You're in me. That's how close he can be. And it can change our lives. He can change our lives. So back to Psalm 139. Can we affirm this together? Let's read it together out loud and then we'll, then we'll pray. Ready? You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. 
Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. I'll say it again. Christianity, at the core, is all about a relationship. It's all about the nearness of God and the relationships that he gives us with each other. So next we go talk more about this. How do you experience this on a daily basis, this reality in, our, in, in, in life? Because for me, it's made a profound influence in my life. But for today, let's just thank him together that he's near and he sees. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came with that message, that you as a person, you could just say, I, I'm Emmanuel, I'm, I'm God with you. And that, Lord Jesus, that you see us today, that your promises that you're with us, would you strengthen our faith, Lord, we pray. Give us eyes to see the invisible, to really believe that when it feels like we're all alone, that that's a lie as well. Lord, I pray that our relationship with you would grow like never before in this new year and that uh, it would be you who define who we are. Lord, may our relationship with you be the center of our lives in this year and until you come. We ask for that in your powerful name. And everyone said, amen. amen.